Hello and welcome to the Jewitches Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast hosted by Jewitches.com. Every episode we dive into a new topic on Jewish witchcraft, magic, mysticism, folklore, and practice. And in our many episodes, we break down interesting topics in just about 10 minutes. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Follow us on Instagram at Jewitches, Tumblr and Twitter at The Jewitches, and join us on Patreon. Links and citations are always available in the description. Hello and welcome back to the Jewishes podcast. I know that we've been on a rather long hiatus and thank you all so much for your patience as well as the kind messages that you've sent. We're so excited to be back and with this episode all about one of our favorite topics, garlic. With the usual housekeeping as a reminder, we have a Patreon where you can support the podcast and Jewishes work in general as well as a website where you can read this po- podcast in blog format. There are also images that you can look at that go along with this episode. If you are not already, make sure to follow us on Instagram for daily content. And with that being said, let's just dive directly into the meat of this episode, which is actually all about garlic. Now, if you're wondering, haven't we heard this before? Yes, we actually did a mini episode a while ago talking about Jews and garlic, specifically just talking a little bit about that relationship. That was a very short, condensed episode. And this one's going to be a little bit longer with more of a historical perspective and a look into how garlic was used, which we rather glossed over in our initial episode. So in our humble opinion, if there was one single item of food to represent Jews, it would not be bagels or bialis or burekas, cholent or challah, brisket or couscous, but something far more simple. We offer up the quintessential Jewish staple of garlic. From the time of the Torah, we have centered our love of garlic, lamented in our wanderings how we missed her delectable taste. Here we quote from Numbers 11.5. We remember the fish we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. With documented evidence of cultivation and use as far back as 4,500 years, garlic is by no means a new culinary favorite. But it was more than just a flavor booster for Jewish communities around the world. Indeed, to quote, The first ever sonnet written in Hebrew was in praise of these vegetables. It was part of a work, the Mabarot compositions, written by the greatest Hebrew poet of medieval Italy, Emmanuel ben Solomon of Rome, called Monoello, 1260 to 1328. This is the translation by Alan Mandelbaum, which appeared in the American Jewish Periodical Commentary in 1951. It reads, from the hungry praise, I gaze on manna and on quail, but voices warn, approach not here. The banquet now is but a dream bereft the grandeur of my soul. For heart's redeemer is the onion, onion, garlic, leek, my peace upon my head fit, coronal, and for my soul ills, unction. Garlic is the earth's stag and blossom, grace did bear him, glory robed him, and over him the great bear and her sons. And wheel and wheel like heaven's spheres, the onion skin, the leeks, Elisheva's wand in wondrous miracles. But garlic was not only a feature within our romantic literature, featuring heavily within discussions of great rabbis and sages who understood the deep power of this plant. It's important to note that as we talk about this, we make no medical recommendations regarding uh, garlic or any herb. It's important to consult with professionals at all times. 
To quote from Baba Kama 82a11, the sages taught in a Baraita that five matters were stated with regard to garlic. It satisfies, it warms the body, it causes one's countenance to shine, it increases one's sperm, and it kills parasites that are in the intestines. And some say that it also instills love with those who eat it, and it removes jealousy from them. It continues on in Baba Kama 82, uh, sorry, 10. The Gemara explains the next of the ordinances that Ezra the scribe ordained, and one should eat garlic Shabbat Eve. This is due to the fact that garlic enhances sexual potency, and Friday night is an appropriate time for conjugal relations. The warming nature of garlic was included in, uh, in foods encouraged for sexual potency. Hence, to quote, Garlic is called the Sabbath delight, with the same implications of the word delight as in the sexually suggestive, suggestive song, Afternoon Delight. Sefer Hasidim, a 13th century text, teaches that roasted garlic, eaten warm, is a remedy against impotence. Now, it was also well understood that the, uh, by the rabbis that garlic was a curative substance for more than just impotence. With regard to the remedy for pain in one's teeth, Lechacha, uh, Rabba Bar Rav Huna said, let him bring an individual garlic that grew as a single clove and grind it with oil and salt and let him place it on a thumbnail on the side that hurts him. Let him surround it with a rim of dough and he shall take care that it does not touch his flesh because it is harmful and can cause boils. This is Gitin 69a. Perhaps it is it's possible medical purpose was the reason behind this declaration to quote, with regard to a mortar, if it has garlic in it, one may move it on Shabbat. And if not, one may not move it on Shabbat. This is from Shabbat 123b12. Now, it wasn't just garlic um, mortars that could be moved with garlic in them. One may go out with a twig in his teeth or in his shoe to the public domain, but if it falls out, he should not replace it. And with padding or a sponge over a wound, so as long as he does not tie a string or cord over it, for a string and cord have distinct importance to him and are not useful to the wound. And he may go out with a garlic peel or an onion peel upon a wound or a dressing on top of garlic, and he may tie and untie it on Shabbat. And with a bandage or an emollient or a plaster on top of a wound, and with a coin on top of a callus, and with a locust egg, a fox tooth, and the nail of one crucified, which were understand, understood to have medicinal profit properties and with anything that we drape for healing and that is when physicians say it is useful mishneh torah 1913 shall one who ate garlic and his breath smells return and eat garlic again so that his breath should continue smelling babylonian talmud 51a as a rabbinic idiom for two wrongs do not make a right now there's actually a very funny story where the perceived plague of stinky garlic breath was not tolerated by all as rabbi judy the judah the patriarch once asked a student to leave his classroom for smelling of garlic i'll tell you the story now which comes from sanhedrin 11a to quote rabbi judah hanasi was sitting and teaching and he smelled the odor of garlic rabbi judah hanasi was very sensitive and could not tolerate this odor he said whoever ate garlic should leave Rabbi Chia stood up and left. Out of respect for Rabbi Chia, all of those in attendance stood up and left. The next day in the morning, Rabbi Shimon, son of Rabbi Yuhanasi, found Rabbi Chia and said to him, Are you the one who disturbed my father by coming to the lecture with the foul smell of garlic? Rabbi Chia said to him, There should not be such behavior amongst the Jewish people. I would not do such a thing, but I assumed the blame and left so the one who didn't, who did would not be embarrassed. For those of you who don't know, it is a mitzvah not to embarrass other Jews or other people in general. You should not embarrass others. Now, there is a reason that rabbinical discussion regards garlic 
uh, regarding garlic was so intense, as according to the food historian, rabbi, and chef Gil Marx, to quote, historically, the addition of garlic among the typical was among the typical Jewish touches that enhanced local dishes. In many cultures, the presence of garlic marked the dish as Jewish. Jews were simply associated with garlic, so much so that anti-Semitic imagery surrounding Jews featured Jews prominently holding garlic, along with other anti-Semitic red flags like bags of money, gold coins, grotesque features, and other general caricatures. If you go to our website and you read this article, you can see uh, a couple examples. One of them is very popular. It's called the Jew of Worms, um, Worms being a German city. Uh, and he is carrying in one hand three stems of garlic and three bulbs, and in the other hand, a bag of money. Below him is a very strange coin bank that is extraordinarily anti-Semitic. It's a Jewish character of a man sitting between two giant garlic bulbs, fondling them. I don't have another better word for it. I've made a video on this one before. Uh, and uh, written on the two garlic bulbs, such a sweet little smell. Uh, beneath that, a Jewish man under garlic and beneath that a uh, character of a Jewish garlic seller and even under that uh, Jewish coin inspectors and what is on their table if not cloves of garlic. But the association wasn't merely in images only. Jews were known as garlic eaters both as a self-applied term for example the rabbis in the Mishnah understood Jew Jewish garlic consumption to be so identifiable that they referred to Jews as garlic eaters themselves um, and not. In what is now Germany, the towns of Speyer, Worms, and Mainz each boasted a hearty Jewish population and were known by the acronym Shum, which is the Hebrew word for garlic. Interestingly, uh, like we mentioned, one of the most famous images, uh, anti-Semitic images of a Jew and garlic is known as the Jew of Worms. Now, during the Spanish Inquisition, established as the Tribunal of the Holy Office of the Inquisition, Jews were forced under threat of death to convert to Catholicism or flee their homes in order to escape. Identifying Jews and conversos, Jews living in secret after publicly converting to Catholicism, was paramount to, the inqui uh, to inquisitors, and food played a significant role in weeding out the Jews who remained in Spain. Now, according to some scholars, the scent of garlic in a home was enough to warrant torture or even death. There's a lot of other aspects of food that was used. Food has always been highly political, and food was heavily used during the Inquisition. For example, uh, a tradition of how hanging legs of uh, dried pork in the doorway was a way of indicating that someone wasn't Jewish or that Jews weren't welcome and that they were very staunchly Catholic as Muslims in the area obviously would not have hanging pork in their doors either. Andres Bernades was a chaplain to the Archbishop of Seville in Spain during the Inquisition and wrote Historia de los Reyes Católicos de Fernando y Doña Isabel, published in 1870, to quote, Just as heretics and Jews have always fled from Christian doctrines, so have they always fled from Christian customs, the priest wrote. They never lose the Jewish habit of eating garbage of onions and garlic fried in oil. That last bit of fried in oil is actually important as uh very commonly in the region, oil would not be the main cooking liquid or the main cooking oil for uh, everyone. You could either use butter, lard, or oil, and Jews would most frequently use oil because lard being sourced from pork, not an option whatsoever, uh, and butter is milchig, 
uh, it's dairy. So for Jews who are keeping kosher, you would not use butter to cook your meat and therefore you use a lot of oil. And so a lot of traditional dishes when made kosher would switch out pork fat or butter to be used with oil. So this is an important distinction here. Now, another translation of the same, uh, this same section translates and offers to quote, you must know that the customs of the common people before the Inquisition were nothing more or less than those of the stinking Jews themselves. And this caused the continuous conversation that they had with them. They were so greedy and gluttonous that they never lost the Jewish custom of eating garbage and olives, onions and garlic fried with oil and meat that was cooked with oil. And they used to put it instead of bacon. And oil with meat is something that makes the breath smell very bad. And thus their houses and doors smelled very bad to those food. And they themselves had the smell of the Jews because of the foods. And not being baptized. And this last section is, again, important. The idea that Jews have a foul odor that can only be uh, gotten rid of by baptism is very common. It's a very, very common historical trope to the idea that Jews have a special distinct odor is known as photo eudaicus. Um, and you can read about it in several of our other articles. Now, the idea is... Uh, now, Christmas may be a beloved holiday for many, but historically it was a time of horrific violence against Jews. Enlivened by their celebrations of their Lord, Christians would harangue, harass, and attack Jews with renewed vigor. Aside from interpersonal acts of violence, the systemic violence against Jews continued for centuries. For example, to quote, in 1836, the Jewish community of Rome sent a letter to Pope Gregory begging him to stop the abuse of the Jewish community on Christmas, in which rabbis were forced to don clownish outfits and run through the streets while spectators threw things at them. Pope Gregory refused to intervene. Now, because of this historic violence on Christmas, this led to the creation of Nidlnacht, a quasi-celebration for European Jews that forced them to stay indoors, hidden away from violence, celebrating uh, uh, the violence of celebrating Christians. To quote, Jews in Isaacs, Galicia, and Western Poland used Weihnacht, Wonacht, or Wonight, uh, a name parodying the German Weihnachten, Holy Night. Researcher Rebecca Scharbach Willenberg categorizes Nihilnacht in their research, the ghost in the privy, the origins of Nihilnacht and the modes of cultural exchange, as to quote, a cluster of Jewish observances carried out on uh, Christmas Eve. To quote, from the early modern period onwards, many European Jews marked the arrival of the Christmas holiday by putting aside their holy books, refraining from sexual relations, consuming garlic, staying up late, and holding rowdy communal gatherings, often centered on card playing. The reasoning was that Jesus walked the earth again on the night of Christmas, and Jews would ward him off using various methods, including the most common and widely available anti-demonic herb on hand, garlic. To quote, eating garlic on Christmas Eve was one way to signal resistance to the day, both against their, both against their dominant Christian culture and as a means of spiritual and literal protection, since garlic was understood as an apotropaic that warded off demons and spirits. For Jewish communities across the diaspora, garlic played its role well as both an atropaic, which means having the power to avert evil influences or bad luck, and a prophylactic, which is intended to avert disease. As within the spiritual ecosystem of Judaism, evil spirits were entirely capable of causing illness. Garlic was consumed, hung, grown, and placed around one's home for various reasons, including hanging in windows as a means of warding off the plague. Among Jews of Eastern Europe, it was believed that, to quote, anyone facing the prospect of spending the night in a field uh, ought to wear a bulb of garlic around their neck for safety. 
Commonly, garlic was an ingredient used to protect children. Bulbs were placed beneath the pillows of infants before circumcision in order to keep them safe. In 13th century Spain, many Jews followed the custom of slaughtering an old cock after the birth of a son, removing its head with its feathers and hanging it with garlic at the entrance of the house. To quote, one woman told us that the clove of garlic was placed in the breast of the new mother, and she further explained that the garlic was hung round the neck and between the breasts of the new mother. To quote, Sometimes mother would simply wrap a clove of garlic, a piece of amber, or some salt in a handkerchief, and sew it in their or sew it in their child's clothing. Items carried in the pockets could be just as effective. These practices were shared between Jews of the diaspora. Some time ago, they carried a busica, little sack with some salt, garlic, and a blue bead. Among Eastern European Jews, the crying of a baby was seen as potentially caused by unclean forces, and therefore a ritualistic approach to soothing was taken. Like, for example, to quote, bathing in a stock made from onions, garlic, and a comb to be poured out at a crossroads after the procedure. To quote, as Clara Dan and Ozenica Bosnia told us, rue is placed thus, pointing to the ear, garlic beneath the pillow so it couldn't be seen. Julie Alehef of Ruzuk, Bulgaria, recalled, Garlic they put under the pillow for the evil eyes. Sometimes they put tie they would tie blue chains by stringing garlic together with blue beads. Garlic they put in the pocket in the house on the doors. Babies when they are born under the pillows, and they used to put blue beads, as another person said, with a piece of garlic in the pocket and blue beads pinned to the shirt. A child would be protected from the evil eye from birth until he became a big boy. As part of the spiritual ecosystem, the evil eye played an important role, as did its cure, so, uh, which is garlic. So much of that is inspired that it inspired an incantation in Ladino, the language of Sephardic Jews. Alaho que se la vaiga, let it go, let the evil eye go to the garlic. Various rituals to remove the evil eye included garlic in its list of ingredients, including preparing the garlic to quote, while reciting a conjuration based on the dialogue between the prophet Elijah and the she demon Lilith. Garlic is for the evil eye, and Ruda is for evil. You place a piece of it in clothing and hang it in the house. So according to the wisdom of our ancestors, the cure to pretty much anything is garlic. Just remember, garlic peeled and left out overnight is believed to be unfit for consumption due to the forces that go bump in the night. It is such a strong belief that the rabbis uh, declare that if you die from it, it'll be your own fault. To quote, there are five actions with regard to, <laughs> to which one who performs them is held liable for his own life, and his blood is upon his own head, i.e. he bears responsibility for his own demise. They are as follows. One who eats peeled garlic or a peeled onion or a peeled egg. One who drinks diluted drinks. All of these are referring to items only when they are left out overnight. Nida 17a. However, there are certain practices by Sephardic Jews where garlic and other odorous foods like onions, spices, and fish were forbidden during the rituals allotted times. And you can find more information on that on ritual in uh, Ritual Medical Lore for Sephardic Minimum, Sweetening the Sick and he Sweetening the Spirits and Healing the Sick by Rosemary's uh, Levy Zumwalt and Isaac Jack Levy, where they go into detail. And so, yes, that is just a little bit more information about our favorite, favorite topic, garlic. So let's hop right into these citations. We start off with The Book of Jewish Food, and Odyssey from Samarkand to New York, a cookbook by Claudia Rosen, The Ghost in the Privy, The Orange's Mittelnacht, and the Modes of Cultural Exchange by Rebecca Scharbach-Wallenberg, My Jewish Learning, Eastern European Jews and Christmas, Aish's uh, Christmas, December 25th in Jewish History. We have the USDA.gov's uh, Garlic's Origins, Aish, Garlic, and Jews, Six Little-Known Jewish Facts. We have Andrew Bernaldez's um, 
book on archive.org. We have the Dehumanization and Demonization of Medieval Jews, Medieval Antisemitism by Francois Sawyer, the Arc Humanities Press. We have A Frog Under the Tongue, Jewish Folk Medicine in Eastern Europe by Marek Tojwicki, Magicians, Theologians, and Doctors by H. Jacob Zemmels, Ritual Medical Lore, Sephardic Women, Speeding the Spirits, Healing the Sick by Rosemary Levy Zumwalt and Isaac Jack Levy. A fantastic book. Uh, we have Jordan D. Rosenblum's A Brief History of Jews and Garlic, Feasting and Fasting, the History of Jews, uh, History and Ethics of Jewish Food, which is edited by Aaron S. Gross, Jody Myers, and Jordan D. Rosenblum. And we have As the Jews Like Tea Garlic, Garlic and Christian Jewish Polemic Discourse in Early Modern Germany, Leonard J. Greenspoon, Ronald A. Simpkins, and Gerald Shapiro, uh, uh, Food and Judaism Studies and Jewish Civilization. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope to be publishing more podcast episodes soon. Mm-hmm.